Welcome to the Three Digital Amigos podcast, where myself, Craig Ambler, Avril Chester, and Chris Lord will talk Yay. in a non-sticky and fun way about all things digital. Welcome back. Yay. <laughs> Welcome so, back. Craig, who've we got? What are we going to talk about? Well, as we know, uh, Series 3 is all about the Plus Series, so Plus a guest. Um, let me get, let me do some guessing games again. Some interesting facts about this person. Uh, born in Durham, the same the same year as uh, Amigo, myself, Ambler. Um, started from the age of five playing uh, mini rugby. Uh, played local rugby for four of the top flight clubs. Uh, amongst other appearances of international appearances, played in the infamous 2003 and 2007 World Cup finals. Uh, transferred his team and leadership skills into a, a family-owned business, Network 2 Supplies Limited, is the patron of School of Hard Knocks, and the legacy that this person wants to leave is being a team player and bringing groups of people together to do remarkable things, and that's what he thrives and loves. So, any clues, anyone? <gasps> epic career already i just uh in awe. <laughs> totally in awe here uh, i'm gonna guess it's a male there are lady oh. nowadays no i know but obviously what we were talking through <laughs> oh come on get well, out of our misery <laughs> a huge welcome and a privilege to welcome andy gummersall mbe welcome andy <laughs> That was very, How very was that for an unique. Intro, <laughs> We're out of time now. Thanks very much. Thank you for, thank you for reading out my Wikipedia. But, uh, it, <laughs> it wasn't we just like Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, bless you. So, so Andy, thank you for coming on this. Obviously, this is, uh, um, this is a very special series where we're bringing on uh, guests from all different walks of life and professions. And... Uh, you know, very privileged to have you on talking about a number of things uh, uh, and how it relates to digital. Uh, so, listen, can I get straight into it? Because I'm itching to ask you some questions. I'm sure that the other guys are. But, uh, you know, sport in the UK and around the world is a fantastic bringing together of, of people from all walks of life. What did you observe when the pandemic hit in, you know, in that um, sort of sporting well, career? Firstly, I think everyone thrives off... Um, this sort of body language and getting together, um, reading people, um, just just the general uh, you know feeling of you know, rugby is a tactile sport as well, right? We do a lot of hugging, we do a lot of backside yeah, slapping yeah. Uh, as encouragement, um, and you kind of miss that. <laughs> you miss the 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 whole face to face element. Uh, you know, digitally, it's amazing to be able to see people and communicate so well uh well done the networks for you know the utmost unbelievable pressure to uh to to keep everyone you know homeschooling as well uh <laughs> during the pandemic so but it, it's not the same and then that's what's missing from a sporting context it's very difficult to watch sport right now because there are no crowds and the fake crowds that that are there 
I will watch it with the fake crowd, but you know, some are delayed, and uh, it's just not the same. It's 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 absolutely horrific, and I'm I'm no. I'm always grateful, but I'm I feel like I'm even more grateful for having a sporting career where we did have crowds because you know one one of the players that that uh, that uh, I really admire at the moment who's got who's just got a hundred caps for his country, which is Ben Youngs, and we're both England scrum halves paid in World Cup finals. You know, to run out in a stadium with no fans and you've just, it's the most pinnacle moment in your career with 100 crowd, hundred caps. I just find so sad, you know, I just gutted for him. So, so I think, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's different, but thank goodness for technology in a lot of ways. And, and do you know what, linked to that, do you, do you feel that the, um, you know, the, I guess let's call it the, the energy of the, the players, can you see a difference in, in people as well? Because like you say, I know when, you know, watching yourself, fueled on by by spectators and the roars really gets your adrenaline up so do, have you seen a difference in how the yeah performances for sure are, are it's very season? different i think it's also in context different for uh different sports people in different sports um so i would say rugby because you've got 15 players you've got this the bench there as well there's a number on the bench 23 in a in a squad and then you've got your support staff um, yes, there's no crowd, but there's actually a good atmosphere, and you can hear everything. If you if you actually watch rugby, you can hear them. Um, and apologies for some of the players swearing. Um, you know, I used to swear on the pitch, but no one ever knew and heard, so I got away. With it. You know, you can hear everything on the pitch. <laughs> you, we had to be careful when the technology came in with ref links and mics about what we. We were always very polite, but there were certain yeah, things yeah. that went on and. And um, but they create their own atmosphere, and actually, I don't think that they've suffered that much, other than when something dramatic uh, happens. Uh, so a try scoring, there's no better feeling than scoring a try and the and the crowd roaring. That you won't get that. You'll get your your uh, fellow players doing that. And I think what they've done is they've really focused and concentrated on supporting each other, even more so because they're not going to get that from the crowd. I'm a bit massive fan of golf, and I think a lot of players in the top uh, 100, some have really suffered from no fans, and they, their play is, is just flat. Uh, and some have actually, under the pressure with the crowd impact, have actually thrived. So there's a right, you know, sport is such a mental game, yeah. and actually the supporters play such an important role. And I've played for some clubs where I had to G them up. I, at Quinns, I was known as the cheerleader on the pitch because I was constantly like, we're doing really well, by the way, and no one's <laughs> cheering, so come on. And then I'd have to calm the Kings home faithful down. They were absolutely going mental if we weren't playing well and if we were losing. So I'd sort of have to calm them down. But um, you you just thrive off that. And for, for anyone playing sport... Uh, you know that that thrives off it. It must be. It must be awful. Mm, mm. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. I understand that. So, just picking up on some of the things you said there, because <clears throat> uh, early on you mentioned the word digital and and how the, the the connection to the fans is quite a big thing. I'm wondering if you've got a view about the wider piece. So, not just fan engagement, but is this has has there been any change in the use of data and digital tools around the training um, and, and yes, here you go, food reference, nutrition, because I guess you can't have a, a virtual Mars bar, can you? <laughs> well done, Chris. <laughs> We've got Thank you. Food in there. You promised me. Um, 
it's, got it, we got it. it. We can relax. <laughs> the difference from when we started to what it is now is is it's unbelievable. It's it's light years apart. It's frightening. Um, from technology point of view, um, I was very fortunate to be an amateur to then going professional and then be in the England squad when Clive Woodward became the first full-time professional coach. And he came from technology in terms of he'd worked for Xerox, ranked Xerox at the time. He then uh, built his own leasing company. So he knew technology and he brought technology in and gave us laptops. And for rugby players, you know, we ha- we were, most of us had been to university pretty well educated, but it was amazing. There is, a, there is this difference between <laughs> forwards and backs in so many different ways. And it's amazing the forwards sort of looking at, these things and laptop going what the hell is this the backs were like yeah brilliant let's go but it was once the forwards had realized what you could see on the internet i think there was a big uptake from them and they they suddenly adopted technology (laughs) and actually one of the things that was very visual to us was we we used to say to clive that there was just no space on the pitch and we brought some software and technology and there were so many cameras in the stadium. And he freeze-framed the first kickoff on our first contact area. And he basically said, you, you guys, I believe you in what you're saying, but actually visually now look, because you're so focused on the ruck and contact, and actually look, and you're telling me there's no space. And there was acres of space everywhere. And it was just it was this moment where we realized the tooling, the software, um, the, the technology was actually going to help us um, massively. And I always viewed rugby like American football and, and American football is very, it's always been the way it's been professional for a lot longer. Um, but I always visualized it as a chessboard. And so being able to see that helped me enormously for my visual awareness and therefore decision-making, whether to kick, pass, run, whatever. Um and so technology was huge for us and nutrition came in and um, we used to be tracked on the pitch. And I, I asked one player why he was sprinting back after we'd scored a try, because normally you get rest, you know. Um, why, why are you sprinting back to the, yeah, like, yeah. is something happening? Am I missing something? And he was like, I, I just pulled him aside, why are you sprinting back? And he said, no word of a lie. He said, um, I want to be number one in the stats for this game for sprinting and how fast I'm going. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it was so funny. So when we looked at the stats, he was there and lo and behold, he was number one in sprinting. And I was sort of, you know, ranked 10th or something. I was like, that, I'm going to start this. I'm going to start running around quicker so I can then look like I'm busier. Anyway, then sort of technology and its, its data, I think, changed massively. And I um, was lucky enough to be in Japan for the World Cup and I spotted uh, in the stadium uh, when we were allowed in um, one of my ex-fitness coaches. And it was wonderful. It was in 2000, so it was wonderful to see him. And I sat next to him and his wife and um, I said, come on then. Um, he he was part of um, a group of coaches that were going around the tier two, three nations because he was such a high-level coach, he was supporting some of the lower ones that couldn't afford it. So it was part of their World Rugby uh, support. And so I said to him, you know, 
England players now and world rugby and all the players. I said, come on, could I have hacked it in this, this you know, world now with all the data and the, the fitness and, you know, could I have hacked it? And before I'd even finished with a question mark, he said, no. I was like, and I looked at him and he was not a joker. For, he, I was like, he was dead serious. He was like, it is such a different world now. I'm not sure you, you would have been up to up to the standards and I'm thinking he, he sort of broke me in one sentence and then my competitive <laughs> spirit ended up like rubbish you're talking absolute rubbish I would have absolutely killed it so we laughed about that um but that just sort of symbolizes where the game is um it has gone to an absolute another level yeah. and you know I I, I love Apple I, I wear an Apple watch you know and and actually I would have been my own statistician you know I would have I would have been stats um, it would have been a bit of a drug to me, actually. Um, so I would have thrived. I would have really thrived mm. in this era, even though I wouldn't have been fit enough. I would have thrived. I would have. I would have thrived in this <laughs> in this world with all the technology and data. But it is. It has changed beyond recognition. Mm. Mm. Absolutely incredible, and, and it's, like, it's a bit brutal, really. Stop that up, isn't it? Stop <laughs> Tell it as it is. Um, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it is an absolute honour to have you on the podcast. You know, you awarded the MBE for Services in Rugby in 2004. Um, but if I may kind of uh, slightly move this on, because obviously you're passionate about charity as well. And uh, Craig mentioned uh, the School of Hard Knocks. And for those who are on the line who are yet to hear about this incredible charity, can you share a little bit more light about that and how people sure. can help? Um, and, I'm and very you proud to kind of share this. When, when we won lifted... William Webb Ellis Trophy, his nickname's Bill. When we lifted Bill, this tiny little gold cup, it was amazing. I, it was this sort of, we were all relieved. It was amazing euphoria. It was just incredible experience. And I remember sort of very, very close to that those moments. I was thinking, wow. The, uh, number one, this has changed my life forever. You know, the, just that one moment of mm. of being part of a of a team that that is the first time ever some you know eight eight countries achieved it and you're part of that. You just go, oh my god, that it's changed my life forever. It, the, this will always come around. It was our anniversary, the twenty second of November, just recently, uh, seven, 17 years ago. You know, it's incredible. So every year is just a celebration. But I, I in my in my head, I was wow. I now have huge responsibility. Uh, to do good and the power that that it could give me, so I I jumped in in terms of um, rugby players and the and the people around it surrounding it are always very generous with their time charity and so I was always doing stuff and I I watched a program on Sky called School of Hard Knocks and and I just absolutely I'm a real sucker for a, a real challenge and seeing human suffering and don't know what to do and then I love the bit at the end where there's a solution and you see people smile and the impact it has and so yeah. in, in a snapshot I saw this and I was just like wow um, I need so I picked up the phone to the guys that were running it and said what can I do how, how can I help I retired in 2010 and this was 2011. And so I just turned up at a rugby club where they started the program. It was two days a week for eight weeks. And um, it, it, again, sort of changed my life in a lot of ways. It was one of the most inspiring things I'd ever been a part of. And it wasn't a charity. 
So having got the bug and helping, um, mm-hmm. and and what it was, we we were in job centres helping long term unemployed individuals. Doesn't matter their age, um, adults obviously, to come on a course blindly. It was a rugby course, but that was very much a hidden agenda. It was um, turning up, number one, discipline, mm. uh, fitness training-wise, learning a new skill that you haven't got a clue about, all different shapes and sizes, with all different jobs, and you come together and you use the parallels of life within the stupid game of rugby and the silly rules that, 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 that exist. You, 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 you create those parallels to, by the way, you can do it, and here at the end of it, well done. Didn't matter whether you won or lost, you played together. The, the team camaraderie came together. There was a purpose there for the individuals. They became a team. Didn't matter if they played rugby ever again. And the, um, the, the, the reason for doing all of that was to get employment at the end. And some of the government stats are horrendous, um, how low they are. And through this program, just this one program, um, 70% of the candidates got employment and the difference that made to their family, um, you know, the, just their next journey, um, they didn't want to go back. And then you sort of interview people and you see actually this one person un- um, is homeless and that was a shock to me. And then there was another person that, that had, you know, serious um, learning difficulties and no wonder they were and, – and, and just the spin-offs from this – just by getting a group of people together with a common challenge. And I, 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 it just blew my mind. And, and so I sat to Ken Cowan down, who's the CEO of the charity now, and I just said, we try to run programs with it for schools and clubs through sort of corporate CSR donations. And what I found at that point was <clears throat> we were being criticised for doing something brilliant um, for not necessarily potentially being value for money or getting what they wanted out of it. And I just thought, well, that doesn't feel right. And people complaining about it. And I just, it, I just felt very ugly about that. And I sat Ken down and I said, Ken, this has got to be a charity. And he just went, I was thinking about that. How do we do it? So then you pull in the network and uh, he did it all. I did nothing. I just said, it should be a charity. He went off and did it and asked me to be a founding trustee, which I did do. And again, you know, stepping into something that I had no idea about. So I spent two years, two and a half, three years as a trustee. Um, and I felt the time was to move on to get fresh blood in there. And, and basically, uh, Ken sort of said, I don't want you to leave the charity. I was like, I'm not leaving the charity. I absolutely love what this is. And, and he said, no, I, I want you to be, I want you to be a patron. So that, that, that's how, kind of how it started. And I don't, um, I'm shame, shame. I'm, I'm sh- I bring shame on myself because I don't do enough. I need to do more, but just proud that we created something. Uh, eventually I'll be able to, with time and, you know, family and business running, you know, just having more time. That That's my aim in life is just to have more time for more philanthropic because uh, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I follow uh, Ken as well. He uh, Was it last year that... He did, he did an event last year. Unfortunately, he injured himself, wasn't he? Uh, He's fine, year, yeah. He anything now, to he? get out of playing the game. He injured his knee <laughs> uh, and had an operation. He was on crutches. The, literally the week before, we were raising money to 
break the Guinness Guinness Book of World <laughs> Records for the longest rugby match. So he got out of playing thirteen non-stop for thirty hours. <laughs> I thought eighty minutes was a long time, and he got out. <laughs> he did turn up on crutches and help us with drinks and what whatever. We had to play. 30 hours of rugby. We broke the world record and raised about £80,000. So it was, and it was on the hottest weekend of the August, in, in August holiday, I know. 35 degrees. I, I put factor 50, a cake, oh, and yeah. I still burnt to a crisp. It was, oh, it was a brilliant experience. We played against the wooden spoon 30 hours through the night, and I was sleeping in a tent for like an hour just on the side of the pitch because, you know, we couldn't. You, you had subs and things. And I couldn't get to sleep because all I could hear in the middle of the night was people laughing. They were having so, we had so much fun. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, but, yeah, 30 hours we played for. That's, that's monumental. monumental. That's epic. That's incredible. Well, you do realise I am going to now call out Ken on uh, when we do publish this podcast and, uh, and so you can listen to it. Hi, <laughs> yeah. well, You're over it. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy you, you know you've you've actually turned your career from hard hits and tackles to hard operations and leadership uh, in the world of technology as a director of network to supplies how has that transition been for you and uh, what takeaways would you give um, to the think, audience um, in that transition there are a lot of parallels with anyone in industry that changes role and area and it's it's transition is really 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 tough um and i say that as somebody that really really invested and prepared myself for it and even i was shocked about it and and challenged by it and and actually one thing that i realized was that it wasn't just me that it affected my my personal transition it's very much, you know, your family and friends and that transition. Um, something as simple as, you know, my wife really mm. missed coming to watch the games. You know, it was um, that was part of our weekend. It was so exciting. And, you know, the, it's like a divorcing of your world that you knew to something completely different. And unfortunately in sport, I mean, many people are lucky to, enough to have choices to be able to do that. I think in sport, you don't have the choice because you can't do it forever. And I wished I'd taken up golf and still been playing at 63, <laughs> Bernard Langer in the Masters. And he was beating some of the youngsters. I mean, what a hero. Um, so you, you, you are sort of forced into, you, you know, you can't you can't do it anymore and you could stay in the game or you could decide to get out and it's really hard if you've for the players now and my generation that left university and signed a full-time contract really lucky but I didn't have anything to sort of fall back on um or or an industry where I was experienced so you you I spent 16 years honing my skills and trying to be the best every single day and then suddenly those skills you think um obviously there are transferable skills but at the time you just like well they're useless now what else am i going to do so you sort of have to go on the bottom rung and work your way up which is as you as you get older in life you know you should be experienced it should be simpler and therefore you manage yourself so you know effectively 
And then you go into something else and you have no clue. And it's a real challenge. Thank goodness for Google. I've got to tell you, I'd be in a conversation, (laughs) business conversation at board level or just generally people were using, you know, uh, um, abbreviation acronym. You know, I'm like, oh, my. So I'd go home and Google what the hell they were talking about, you know. People were talking about from BT, you know, the PSTN network. And I was like, what are they talking about? I had no idea. And um, it was quite refreshing. I mean, as as well, you know, people speak to you and they go, are you still playing? No. And they talk about rugby. They don't do that anymore. But initially, it was kind of 70% I would talk sport and rugby and then 30% talk about stuff that I didn't know anything about. It was a real challenge. and, and it's financial challenge. Um, you know, rugby rugby players can do all the sort of investing for life after, but quite frankly, they still need to work. And 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 and, and so they should, but more pressure to for financially they need to work. And, and so it's been really really tough. But I've been lucky because I I I, I was working while I was still playing. I understood uh, the nature of I didn't want to drop and a gap. Uh, so I did, and and I learned very quickly, which didn't cost me financially. I learned while I was still earning a wage playing rugby, and then as soon as I stopped, um, I helped my father win a contract just by people. I just knew the chairman of this company um, through through um, where I lived. Ironically, it wasn't even anything to do with rugby, and I won this contract for him, and he and he just said, "That's it." You're coming in. You, I want you to work for, for the company, and I was like, no, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I, I want to sail around the world, and you know, I want to, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and exactly. And he, kind of, he gave me a, you know, a sharp <laughs> jab and said, "This will be your best lesson in life. Um, working for a small, um, you know, organic business, learning everything, and it will be your best lesson in life." And he was, I just thought he was, it was rubbish. He, he, you know, he wasn't talking any sense, but it, 10 years later, he was absolutely bang on. And, um, but it's been a roller coaster. You know, everyone says in uh, entrepreneurship, you know, it's literally the, the ups and downs like this. And then you get to the peak and it, it's another, you know, it's just constant battle. And COVID was massive pressure, huge pressure. You know, we had 65 staff. Literally, we closed the doors as lockdown hit, you know, and how do you earn any revenue? You know, it was unbelievable. But that was kind of water off a duck's back to me, you know, love the um, aspect of pressure. And I think sport, people in sport that have played sport, you know, going in front of 90,000 people and performing it isn't something that everyone can do. So their transferable skill, they might not know the intricacies in business, but to them, going into a boardroom and presenting, or to 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 speak in front of three hundred people, or to is easy, you know. Which is what people actually find difficult. We find great pressure, you know, real t- tense. You've got to deliver. It's like, yeah, love that. And then that's just understanding your transferable skills. If any professional sportsman can do that for life after, brilliant. But I saw a lot of similarities with the military as well. So the guys. You know, we were an institution. We were trained so well, which is remarkable. You get that for free. That's just part of it, drilled. 
And then you go into civvy world mm-hmm. and, and there's very similar parallels from sport. And, and it's kind of, <laughs> I, I was, I just constantly said, you, you do, you do this and you do that to get that. Why do you do that? I, I don't, I don't, and it was I, coming across condescending and just you're being rude was, I had to again, learn that lesson. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's been, it's been uh, an absolute baptism of fire. I'm glad I've done it. Um, and I was a dead ringer for being a coach and being in sport. Mm. I wanted to be the next England coach and, and all of this. And you, you never say never, but business is, oh, it's just super, it's brilliant. I, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's a massive challenge. And to know everything is very difficult. Um, but it's about people. Sport for me and rugby was always about the people. Business is exactly the same. I'm, I'm always so thankful to our staff, um, thanking them and you can't communicate enough and i don't think i do communicate enough but i'm absolutely grateful for for you know their dedication and and it is about people so yeah very fortunate but it was in a long-winded answer to your question it, it was very very <laughs> difficult and you know what i think kudos to you i think you can, you know i've just i've been watching uh, your business your business and and what you've been doing it's just been simply fantastic and and long may prevail. Listen, talking about pressurized questions, and this and this, this is the final one for me. But what is your favorite oh, dish at the moment? My, it will always be a uh, a cooked English breakfast. I do like a Scottish breakfast. Um, uh, and, but a nice. good. So that was my stock meal before a big game. I just wanted to enjoy a, a meal, and obviously <laughs> you can have healthy. You know, they're not in a frying pan it's a healthy grilled you know um we used to have egg white omelets all that so i don't i don't worry about that stuff anymore um but you know a good, a good english breakfast is is, <laughs> is amazing but i guess meal wise i'm still a i i i love italy and i love um i'm a big sort of you know pasta person so i love mm. i love um ravioli and spaghetti but you know just the basic stuff but the way the italians do it just it just oh, it just gives it something else yeah yes and then they add red wine as well washed oh, down with <laughs> a, a small vat of red wine yes. <laughs> yeah. i like the fact that it's then small vat <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i i I, I love the fact that the scoop we've got is that, uh, you know, elite professionals had a cooked breakfast uh, yep, before the games. That is just amazing. Well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of this uh, of this uh, uh, this episode, Andy, and it's gone so quick, but it's been so insightful. I feel like I've gone through a massive world tour of, uh, of, uh, of, of you in 25 minutes, and it's been fascinating. I've just been – I literally have been sat here, I don't know about the other guys, but sat here just in – in awe of the journeys you've gone through. So, uh, um, you, you know, I just want to say uh, just a huge thank you, Andy. Avril? Woo! Thank you! <laughs> it was brilliant. I wish, brilliant. I wish, I wish you'd been in the stadium when I was Chris, playing, Avril. I, uh, I can't compete. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can cheer you. Woo! <laughs> That's all you hear from me in podcasts is woo! Woo! Sorry, everyone you know, who's I, listening. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just remember you just remember a conversation you had on this specific podcast you were cheerleading andy i think i've got a, right. a vision in my yeah. head now which i can't i can't get out so uh apologize. <laughs> listen a huge thank you andy thank, thank you very, very much, much for taking the time thank out you, and thank you. uh 
you know, to everybody else, all the listeners, um, uh, you know, a huge thank you for you guys listening, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.